There's a pain in my heart, but it's just a game. Gotta get over it, won't go insane. Won't achieve anything while I'm down. Don't wanna give out my heavyweighted frown. I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around. Heaven's on the ground, I'm looking at the clouds. Gonna make a change like a change, bigger getting changed. Gonna stay the same with my mind frame rearranged. Gonna wash the blue out my mind, out my eyes with a blind in my mind. Cause that was old times, cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision. You can even spell my name in optimism. Just track the M's, an I and the P. And then what you're left with is me. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show. I am Zod Rider. You are listening to me on psn-radio.com. I appreciate everybody who is taking the time to tune in to a a uh, podcast that I'm doing here. This show is undergone some very very interesting uh, changes throughout throughout the months, and I plan to talk a little bit about that uh, later tonight uh, after I get done talking to my special guest for tonight, which will be Mr. Don Smith, who is an author, and he has uh, written a new book. It's a, well, actually worked on a new book, edited a new book called Blood from a Tombstone. It's an anthology of short stories from the next generation of great horror writers, and I'm about to get him on to the show so that he can talk about his book, and I'm going to interview him about various other subjects and projects he's working on. So it should be a really, really nice uh, episode. And so uh, in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play a quick tune here, and we will get uh, Don on the the line. So um, just uh, bear with me here for a few moments, and I will be right back. It's just a stupid, it's just a stupid 
Gotta get to thinking Sometimes I feel like everyone I know It's just a victim It's just a victim It's just a victim of circumstances Welcome back to tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show. And without further ado, as I promised, my guest, Mr. Don Smith, who is a wonderful author, is here on the show with me tonight to discuss his latest project. And Don, I just have to say right off the bat, welcome back to the Zod Rider Show. It's so great to have you here again. It's it's really great. It's really great to be here. I've been I, I got to tell you, I've really loved how you have been advocating for the um, Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie. Uh, I sit there and I cheer it on as well because I happen to think that basically my theory was that Zack Snyder sat down at the beginning before he did Man of Steel and said, okay, this is what they're doing with Marvel. Here's my idea. What do you guys think? And Warner Brothers said, we'll sign on. We're all for it. And then all of a sudden, it uh, it didn't do the type of money they were hoping it would do. And instead of trusting him, they basically, it's another case of uh, they let the bean counters run everything. And so between that and then Batman v Superman and then all the other stuff that started falling apart around it, they just kind of said, all right, we're doing our own thing and... And at the same time, Zack Snyder suffered a personal tragedy, and it just everything just went to heck. And yeah, I'm too curious to see what he would have done. What was his ultimate vision of Justice League before it was kind of Whedonized and everything? Though Joss Whedon would have been a good director, but the thing is, is that it's sort of like you're asking Jack Kirby to finish the Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, you're asking Jack Kirby to finish the Last Supper. And it just, it, they're two different art styles and they just don't work. They kind of clash together. And uh, that's why I'm really, I, I hope you keep advocating for that Snyder cut. Because I do, I do like Snyder. I've been a fan of his since Watchmen. And, uh, and, he, and I loved, I've loved 300. And I think he really is quite an amazing director. So please, please keep doing that. Oh, I absolutely intend to. And I mean, it's great to hear your thoughts on it as well. I actually was, was really curious to see where you stood on all that too, because uh, to be honest with you, I'm finding a lot of people finding it uh, difficult to, to say the least to find a lot of like-minded people in my real life outside of, you know, outside of the whole online blog sphere and the, and the social media and all that that don't, that, that really that really like it, but then I'm finding that there are people that do like it, but don't like to say that they like it because of because of the you know of the negative backlash that they get if they bring up their opinion. And to me, I don't care about all that. I've been a Zack Snyder supporter 
uh, since day one. I, I love all of his work, and I will continue to advocate for this for this cut, no matter no matter what happens. They're going to have to eventually cave in and, and give it to us because there's just so much of a demand for it, and it's a much bigger demand than uh, Warner Brothers themselves. Uh, yeah, exactly. I do it's hope incredible. Yeah, my big fear is that they're not going to do a second Justice League movie with the current crowd that they have. And um, history has proven one thing over and over again. Anytime you have ever complained about a Batman, he turns out to be pretty darn good. Yeah, and, it's it's, uh, it's amazing. Well, yeah, that that's that's a very very good that's a very very good point. And I mean, we I was having a, a, a discussion with some friends. Uh, involved in the Snyder Cut movement, uh, uh, so shout out to Eric Blake, who is the is Hard Boiled Entertainment, and I was having a discussion with him prior to our show about about that and about all these rumors and stuff about uh, Robert Pattinson uh, playing the next Batman and all the stuff that's that's been going on related to that because of course Robert Pattinson is the guy I believe Edward from Twilight. And yes. it, and it's and I you know and my my response to all that is you know you look at it and you say to yourself okay is he a good is he a good actor because at the end of the day that's really all that matters if he's a good actor he can pull off the role and you'll and you never you never know what somebody's capable of but my biggest problem is I'm not done with Ben Affleck as Batman I think he's one of the greatest if not the greatest Batman on film we've ever had and yet. He's got so much. There was so much potential there that they did not explore. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that somehow we get a reprieve on that, and at some point maybe he'll get a chance to do something else with his iteration of the character. Yeah, I had to admit I was really quite disappointed when his um, when they when they announced like, oh yeah, he's not going to be doing, he's not going to be on it because I thought that was so perfect. I was like, you've got Batman. You've got Ben Affleck, who's who's a really good director. I mean, all you have to do is watch Argo to exactly. see that. And, exactly. And this was a guy that literally, he must have bulked up about 30 pounds to play Bruce Wayne. And the the thing that's the biggest disappointment in all of this is, is that if this all of this falls away, we're not going to get a Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Thomas Wayne Batman which is what I'm hoping that they would do because that would be really, really awesome. That would be because the, the, um, if you ever read any of the flashpoint series, the, um, the, that Batman, the Thomas Wayne Batman is probably one of the coolest iterations of Batman I've ever thought. Oh, absolutely. It definitely, it definitely was something that was being set up and being alluded to, which I, which is why, which is another reason why one of many reasons why uh, Zack Snyder's vision for the DCEU being torn down is such a tragedy in the eyes of many people. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I can't understand how you could have a, such an awesome cinematic universe being set up that's being approached in an adult and mature manner. And it gets derailed because it's not, because it's not enough like your competition. I just I just don't understand that. I always thought that Warner Brothers was a a creator-driven studio. I always thought they were director-driven and they were more about more about content and stories and than they are than they are just about the bean counting element, but it appears that that's not the case. So I I really, you know, it it's frustrating to say the least, but we're we're 
ramping up to do some big stuff. There's this whole big Project Comic Con thing coming up where there's going to be there's going to be uh, planes flying with banners. There's going to be a billboard uh, that's going up. There's they've raised uh, with Project Comic Con. We've raised over seventeen thousand dollars, and the money is going oh. tw- towards the towards the effort, and then. And then half the money is going towards the effort to promote the release the Snyder Cut campaign, and then half the money is going to Americans for Suicide Prevention, which has always been oh, the cool. which has always been the goal of the movement. We've been everything that we've done has raised money towards Americans for suicide, and you have oh, okay. so you ha- so you have that, and then you have and then you have what we're doing with the Snyder Cut, and the idea is that if the Snyder Cut gets announced. Uh, prior to San Diego Comic-Con, then all of the money that we've raised for all of these other campaigns that we're doing, instead of just half of it, is going to go directly to the American for Suicide Prevention. So that's, that's, that's really awesome. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that because um, i got to tell you, it's, suicide and um, mental health issues like that are just only within the last 15, 20 years actually coming like, like they're, they're getting a level of acceptance. Like when people, whenever you, when I was growing up and you would hear somebody would have mental health issues, you're imagining this guy kind of jumping around the room, acting like a werewolf and like, and like screaming, like the, the, the alien greys are outside my window and they're saying unkind things to me. That's, that's what it is. Nobody has understood that things from addiction, suicide, depression, uh, is getting it, it's it's a forgot it, it's forgotten is what it is it, it was forgotten for years and now people are actually taking it seriously and they're actually showing like there is this level of you suffer from depression I can't just say to you get over it it's like saying to him to a uh, an army veteran who lost his leg in uh in combat saying oh, dude come on walk it off. You've yeah. got one leg, so wide. Walk it off. And it's now, people are now taking it very seriously. So I think what you guys are doing here is like a really, really good thing. And what I really love is, is that at the end of the day, uh, look, I love, I love, obviously I love horror. That's one of the reasons why I'm on here tonight is to talk about my new book. And I love comic books. But, but if something happened to my family, uh, to a family member of mine where they were tempted, I'd walk away from it all so I could go take care of that family member because ultimately, and I can imagine if you could have a conversation with Zack Snyder and you could, and you would say like, Hey, about Superman, about Superman. He would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you would walk away and let me just go help out my family. Let's go with my family. Let me go deal with my family. I've got to go watch with my family. And I, because this, what it boils down to is this is entertainment. And I don't want to sound like I'm throwing anything under the bus, but this is just entertainment. We're here to have fun. Exactly. That's what this is. Family yes. is first. And I like that you guys are doing that. You're grounding it in the reality of horrible things happen, and let's take a stand against it. Exactly. And that's that's what it's about. It's about it's about creative integrity, creative freedom, and it's about standing up for what's right. And the idea that you, you know, and the idea that something like this could happen to him in the midst of a tragedy, he's dealing with all that, and then he has to, then he has to deal with all this, 
uh, with something that he he devoted so much time of his life to, and having it all getting snatched away, it's just it's just deplorable. And I feel like WB needs to be held accountable for that. And a lot of the reasoning behind this, you know, we get a lot of flack. Oh, oh, you guys are just upset you didn't get the movie you wanted. Da da da. But the reality is that it's not about that. There's a whole other side to this thing it's a whole other it's all about creative integrity i mean this not only is this a three and a half hour movie that nobody has ever seen but it's a man who spent devoted years of his life to this project and had it snatched away for no reason other than the fact that the studio wanted to go to go a different direction and wanted to wanted to try and make their movie a little more like the other guys over at Disney. I I don't, you know, and so I don't. And so to me, it's like everything that we're, everything that we're doing, it's hard not to be extremely passionate about it. And I got to tell you, Don, I've met some of the greatest people being a part of this, Snyder Cut movement thing. It it's been so incredible the amount of people. I mean, you have people literally coming from all over the world, all walks of life, all coming together to try and unite for a for this for this cause. And it, it's incredible. I mean, I just I'm in awe of it. And I and I just and I feel and it makes you feel as a human being, at least for me personally, it makes me feel so humble and makes me feel so is so small in the grand scheme of things. When you see, when you see the way people can come together, if you know we could all come together as a world like this, you'd have world peace. I mean, of course, you're going to have you know factions and stuff within groups, all these groups that don't always agree and argue. But at the end of the day, everybody is in it for the same reason, and everybody is united with the goal that they want to help the Americans for suicide prevention and they want to get this movie released for Zack yeah. Snyder and for creative integrity because Zack Snyder isn't the first movie director that this has happened to. So that's, so, yeah, I was you know, thinking that, uh, poor, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Tim Burton had to deal with this where he lost the Superman movie himself. And, uh, and there was a level where like, like it's, it's sort of an interesting take on it. It's sort of like, well, was that necessarily a good thing or a bad thing? That right. Right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And, I don't know if you saw the, you know, you saw the documentary that was done about that movie, but that documentary about the Tim Burton movie. To. Oh, it's, it's incredible. You need, you definitely need to check it out. It certainly is. It certainly is some interesting stuff. Uh, you know, and, and, and John Schnepp, God rest his soul. He did a fantastic job with that documentary. I mean, he went all out and interviewed everybody involved. And it just it, it was just funny to hear, you know, Tim Burton in his own words come out and actually speak about it. And they actually had in the in the videos, they actually had some scenes with uh, showing Nicolas Cage for like suit tests and all kinds of things. It was it was really it was really quite fascinating. I personally, I'm glad yeah. that that documentary came out because it really did shed some light on that situation. Well, here's the thing, though, and this is what, and I can't assume that Warner Brothers' attitude has changed too much. Maybe Marvel Comics kind of has helped it along, but I remember back in the day, especially when Batman and Robin came out, I was in my 20s and I would go to the comic book stores and we would talk about it. And the view of... The view of the uh, the view of um, Warner Brothers about comic books is it was almost ashamed. Like 
you know what? Let me let me put it this way. The best way to give the analogy of it is imagine you have like an evangelical crusading born again Christian pastor like Billy Graham, okay? Okay. And this is a guy who's leading massive uh, massive organizations and everything like that. And I'm not saying it's Billy Graham. I'm just saying we're going to take somebody like Billy Graham, okay? And then you find out that his son has become somebody worse than Marilyn Manson, all right? And he's like very, very satanic, very atheist, uh, which is a weird combo. But uh, like he, he speaks out against religion, speaks out against Republican causes, uh, whereas the Billy Graham-esque father is constantly giving advice to Republican leaders, constantly on the phone with Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, then imagine they're at the point where the Billy Graham-esque pastor is so old that he needs someone to take care of him. So his Marilyn Manson-esque son takes care of him. And the Marilyn Manson-esque son is so rich that he can put him in a nice nursing home, give him the best care, give him all kinds of dignity. But the Billy Graham-esque father will never approve. He will reap the benefits of having the Marilyn Manson-esque son, but he will never approve of what his son does. He's actually kind of ashamed of it. And his son will come in and he'll comment like, why is your hair dyed black? What's with the pentagram earrings? That type of thing. Like, why do you do this to me? I would compare Warner Brothers to DC Comics like that, with Warner Brothers being the older evangelical minister and DC Comics being the Marilyn Manson-esque guy. Uh, we're reaping the benefits of these comic books, but we're kind of ashamed of them. They're not real literature. And now that comic books has now that comic book movies, thanks to Marvel, has become a multi-billion dollar industry. It's kind of hard to ignore it, but it's still kind of it's still getting that ha ha ha. This is our cash cow. I really, I'm not going to give it the time of day, but. I'm glad to be making the money from it. He 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 he. Right, and they're laughing all. The, they're laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, exactly. They're ashamed that their number one property involves a guy putting on blue tights and a red cape, and they would much rather be known as the serious studio that makes like Godfather esque movies. That's what they want to be known as. They want to be known as doing the La La Land stuff so that they can pat themselves on the back. I mean, the last time you had anything remotely science fiction-y or, um, or like remotely science fiction-y or fantastical in some way was Lord of the Rings. And yes, there were little things here and there. Like I think uh, that... I'm in love with the Gilman movie that Guillermo del Toro put out a couple of years ago. Did uh, got an Oscar nomination here and there, but wasn't that, that wasn't that uh, wasn't that that shape uh, shape of water? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that what that was called? Yeah, yeah, that's what that was called. And um, it th that was that that's that's the most you're going to get. But the thing is, is that people are still somewhat ashamed of horror movies, comic books. They still, to some extent, I will say, probably look at it as 
why don't you just grow up? I think that that's kind of how they still look at all, it. All while, just, all while still cashing in on nostalgia. They're cashing yep. in on the, on nostalgia and that whole, that whole, uh, you know, that whole love for comic books. Cause all of these people that grew up reading those comic books are adults now and want to see these and love seeing these films come to life and sharing them with the generations of their kids and grandkids. So now it's a, so now, yeah, it's just a, it's just a well-oiled machine, a cash cow that's just yeah. pumping out, pumping out money by the buckets. I, 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 you know, it's, it's funny, but I, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if that's the mentality, honestly, because yeah. it does, it does kind of feel that way when you, when you look at where things have been going in, in the film industry lately. I mean, it's just, it's all just well, profit driven only it, well it is but the other thing that's also taken over for it and that's the other thing that's so crazy about this is um i you cannot ignore the identity politicking that's going on uh you'll hear people using phrases like the uh the mary sue's the sjw type <laughs> yeah and yeah. i i don't want to open up that can of worms but the thing is is that it seems that comic books are more geared to uh, what they call um, virtue signaling instead of telling legitimate stories. And it's kind of like they need their, like, like there's this level of, hey, I need to show everyone that I don't dislike a certain group of people. So we're going to make some changes to this. And then you get the. Um, purists that are kind of like no why we've never had a gay nick fury just for example and we don't think we should have a gay nick fury and then the people that are fans of a gay nick fury come out and say well you are nothing more than a hate-mongering anti-gay person that's trying to hold us back and i'm sitting there and i'm just reading all of this and i write on there like yeah i'm not a fan of a gay Nick Fury either, because that's not what the comic book called for. <laughs> exactly. Get someone, yeah, you get someone get trashing someone, you. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll, I'll get, I'll flat out say, I, I went and saw Avengers Endgame, and I'm going to do a spoiler on this if it hasn't been mentioned, but uh, there's this one scene where um, Captain Marvel uh, takes the gauntlet and Spider-Man's like, well, how are you going to get past all of these people? And then it was just like every female superhero that's in the MCU just showed up and said, don't worry, she's got backup. And I just remember thinking, wait, huh? Like, like how did all of these ladies know each other and get connected with each other and understand who these others were? Like, why is, um, why is, why is like now, uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow character. Why does she now? Why is she now friends with Gamora? And how does Gamora know who the uh, who know who Wasp is? And I, I just was like, I just didn't understand that. So I was, um, so I was questioning that, and all of a sudden, I'm on the radio. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was questioning that and I had a, I had somebody on Facebook start saying like, Oh, is somebody having a small genitalia day? And I just was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, clearly you hate comic books because they did have a, um, 
they did have an all-female version of the Avengers comic book. And I went, okay, well, there's your argument. Why attack me on a personal level? Why say, you clearly don't love comic books. I'm a comic book creator. And you clearly have small genitals, and that's what you're over overcompensating for. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, why go that way? So, I mean, you're dealing with all of these people. You say, like, hey, can we see the Snyder Cut? And then you get, like, this it, – it's, it, it's not just a simple fact of, hey, I disagree with you, or why do we need a Snyder Cut? I, I like what Josh Whedon did, or I'm sorry, I just don't think it's going to happen. But they go after you on a personal level. They attack you. And then when you hear all of these people, what's going on, like – like, um, what do you call it? Like people, the guy that does the quartering show, Jeremy, I think his name is, he voices his opinion on video games and stuff. Someone comes up behind him and punches him. And I just am like, I'm dumbfounded by this. Like, has it gotten, have comic books gotten that violent? I mean, why, why go in this direction? I mean, it, it just, it just, it saddens me is what it does. It's not just a case of here's a really good reason why we should make Superman gay. And instead of Lois, Lois Lane, let's have a Lois Lane. Like, why don't we do something about that? And instead of going, here's a legitimate reason why we need this type of character. Let's have a, let's have a dialogue about it. I in turn will say, no, let's stay true to the source material I get attacked as an anti-gay bigot, and and it, it's it's just crazy. And whereas the person that's trying to push for a gay Superman, let me hear your reasons. Okay, maybe it's time we have a gay Superman. Give me the reasons for it. Let, let's talk. Let's meet on the realm of ideas instead of you instead of you uh, attacking me on a personal level, instead of you saying, and then like going after, like, cause like you'll hear all these stories of like these creators online that just basically say, I disagree with this. And because they disagree with it, all of a sudden they're labeled as like, um, they're late. Like it was kind of like when you're watching V for Vendetta and you're watching all the gays, the Muslims, the women, um, people of different ethnicities rounded up and experimented on and and we and and these critics practically accuse these people of that yes i want to see a yes. cut it's oh means you gay people wait what it's a sad it's a sad yeah it's a sad thing where we've We've gotten to the point as a society of a whole, as a whole, where nobody can have an opinion anymore. It's just a, it's just a, if you have an opinion and I don't like what your opinion is, you're automatically ostracized because the group doesn't want, doesn't, doesn't subscribe to what you're saying. And it, and to me, it's, to me, that's, that's the sad thing about this whole thing. I think you, you know, when we, when we start getting to the point where it's not even safe to have an opinion anymore or to voice an opinion anymore, we're getting into that, you know, Orwellian 1984 type stuff because we're, we're approaching an area where nobody is free to say, to say what they feel anymore. It's going to be like that movie. It's going to be like that George Lucas movie, THX 1138. I mean, it's, I mean, we're getting, it's going to get to that point where everything is going to be, you know, you're you're told what you can think. You're told what you can buy. You're told what you can. I mean, because you 
Because if you, God forbid, you have a slightly different opinion than this person over here. And, and that doesn't yeah, exactly. work. That doesn't work in these kinds of societies because everybody's different. You're never going to get everybody to agree on everything, no matter what you do. It's just not yeah. going to happen. You know, our, our ancestors, our ancestors knew this. <laughs> I think honestly, the best thing we can do. I, I, if it wasn't for the fact that in my day job, I actually use Facebook, but I am fast getting of the opinion. And and the sad thing is, is that because of what I do, I'm, I need to think of ways around this because I will flat out say that I am hypocritical of what I'm about to say, but I would be a huge fan if somebody were to cut off uh, Facebook and Twitter. I think humanity would get a little bit better because Nowadays, like basically what I've heard people say, the biggest fear in life is not a case of not having enough, not having enough information. The problem is, is that we have an oversaturation of information. And, and honestly, the best thing you can do set up a bring back a Snyder website or give us the Snyder cut website. I'm yes, we have, we have one. We have one. And actually that's great. Cause well, it I gives mean, me like a chance using, to plug it. Yeah. It's a good example. Right, right. I'm sorry. Right. But I mean, I was saying like, rely going back to websites may be the thing to do instead of <laughs> right. on social media. media yeah. That makes, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Cause I'm with you there. Social media is, is just as responsible for the current attitudes of society as anything else, if not solely responsible. I mean, when you look, just look at people now, you, you can't, you, you, most people now, and, and I'm speaking generally, but I see a lot, particularly with a lot of younger people these days where they can't put their phone away from their face for more than 10 seconds. I'm it's like it's like the, well. it's like they'll get the shakes if they have to put the phone down. I mean, it's crazy. Like, no, no I, they do get the shakes. They do get the shakes, and there is an addiction to it. And I, uh, without going too far down this road, I know about addiction pretty well. And um, it frightens me that I, I'm that addicted. It really does. And it's like yes. I something needs to be done about it. I mean, because it's kind of like I, I've always. I like I hear, you hear all these sad stories, and I work in education, and I hear, I hear this firsthand of of kids that are committing suicide because of the mean things that people say about them on Facebook. And I just am like, well, couldn't you just turn off Facebook? Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. I mean, if you don't know it's there. Like you don't pay attention to it. It's kind of like, is that a. And again, I'm going over, I'm oversimplifying the answer, obviously, but it's just kind of like, I just am like, wouldn't it just make sense just to turn off Facebook? I mean, just don't let your kid get on social media for right now. Uh, I mean, would that, wouldn't that be a better alternative? Uh, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, exactly. Cause, yeah, fa- cause we so, know, cause Facebook is, is where it, where it is. Because of all the societal problems that have happened as a result of it. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm and, – and here's the thing, though. And I'm not saying this from the perspective of I am better than you or I am saying this from a ivory tower. I'm saying this as a person that is caught up in the middle of it 
and very much addicted to it that I need to get off of it and figure out how to get life around it. Because the ironic thing is when I plug my book later, I'm going to say, go to my Facebook page and you'll see it there <laughs> or you'll go to the, you'll go to the tombstone story, tombstone stories, publishing Facebook page, and you'll be able to see where you can get the book. And, and, and I say this, I say this completely hypocritical. So it's not just, just a, this is not me saying this from the perspective of, um, wow, I'm better than you. This is me saying this from a perspective of, I too need to do something about it and I should do something about it. Very oh yeah. Soon. And like I said, yeah. I believe it, I, it, it's, it's gotten to the point where it is literally a societal problem. I will say this yeah. though. I mean, from a personal perspective, I, 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 I've drastically cut out the amount of time I used to spend on Facebook. I know I used to be on Facebook an awful lot, but I got to the point where I no longer, I'm on there maybe once or twice a week now, which I think, which I think is great. I feel like my life has been better for it. And then there's the, and then there's the whole Twitter thing now for me with the whole Snyder cut movement and all that stuff. And it's like, I'm on, I'm on Twitter a lot more than I ever was on Facebook, but even Twitter, I can go, you know, I can go days, you know, I can go two, three days without even logging in. And I, and I feel that that's, and I feel that that's a good thing because it shows that I'm not complete. My brain hasn't been completely ate away by the allure of social media. So I try to, right. so I, I take comfort in that in knowing that, but yes, I, I really do believe that it is a 100% societal problem that needs to be dealt with on a, on yeah. a serious, on a serious level because it has gotten out of hand, but it really has, it really at, has. At, at this moment now, you know, I, I want to, I want to go, get into the main reason you're here tonight, which is actually to talk about blood from a tombstone, an anthology yes. of short stories from the next generation of great horror writers. Now, you know what, Don, first thing right off the bat, I'm going to say is I love the title of this book. And I will confess that prior to uh, getting on the air with you, I haven't had a chance to read the entire book yet, but I have, you know, gone through it and, and read and read bits and pieces of it here and there. And I think it is, I think so far it, it is quite good. So can you tell can you tell the listeners a little bit about about this new project? Well, first of all, I've got a I I, I cannot stress enough this wonderful wonderful lady by the um this wonderful lady who has a uh, pod who of all places has a website called uh, the Bold Mom. And she is a very nice person. I want to make sure I get, um, uh, I'm going to ruin her name if I say it. Um, she, she has this website, like I said, called The Bold Mom. And The Bold Mom is dedicated to up and come, is dedicated to horror. It's dedicated to talking about, uh, telling people about horror and just an independent horror too. And that's, um, and that's Mar Garcia. That's what her name is. And her name just slipped my mind. Mar Garcia started this website and she's been promoting tons of horror. She has a co-owner of the site, a really nice guy by the name of uh, Tony Black, uh, who's also an amazing writer himself. And they've been go going out of their way to promoting independent horror and trying to just really bring back horror. And I'm talking about like 1980s paperback horror 
horror fun, where you can experiment, where you can write stories. And, uh, and they started a contest earlier this year, and they must have had something like 70 entrants into it. And, um, and basically, people were able to check it out, vote for it, and they're like, who do you like? Which one do you like? And they all, they all voted. Well, at the end of the contest, I was like, okay, so what happens now with the stories? And uh, I was going back and forth with Mar and Tony, and I said, well, we, could we do an anthology? And Mar and Tony were like, like, yeah, but we're so busy with this because they've got their own lives and they've got all of this other stuff going on and all of these other projects that they're working on. So I basically said, well, why don't, I guess I'll do something. Like I figured how hard would it be? You get a collection of stories together. Uh, you get some of the stories together. Anybody that wanted to be a part of it, we put it together in an anthology, throw it up online and that should be pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, right. It took me about six months to, to um, collect all the stories that wanted to be a part of it, go back and forth with them saying, is it okay if we do this? How are we going to get this done? And I wanted to initially release it online for Amazon for free, but Amazon insisted, no, you need to charge something for it. So I got the smallest amount in there. I had to go back and... Um, the writers that I have on here are just absolutely amazing writers. I have um, up and coming great ones like Alicia McAdoo, uh, David Owen Hayes, uh, excuse me, David Owen Hughes, Fiend Goddess, who's got the greatest first name on the planet. He um, had, has a really, really twisted story in there about, um, about like, just, just like a slowly, slowly putting together, it's like a, let's just say it's a date gone bad and what ends up happening from it. And he also is the co-editor of this project. And man, did this guy step up to the plate when I needed someone. He was awesome. We also got the work of Howard Carlyle, who, who's, who has made a name for himself. A lot of these guys that we have are from England. And that's the other thing that's great is, is that we're, we're, we're from literally this, anthologies from all over the world. I've also got to uh, say we got Roma Gray, who herself, um, she gave us one of her stories to use, and she also entered the contest. Roma Gray has done more to help me. Uh, I would think she's done more to help me on a personal level and with being a writer and being a short story writer. She has been absolutely amazing. She's very nice. And um, one of my other stories um, called the Blasco Forest Monster appeared in her trick or treat th thriller series called the Backyard Monsters. And the Roma uh, Gray trick or treat stuff is really, really good. Um, one of some of the other writers that we have on here, we have a real nice guy by the name of Mark Kick, uh, Kirkbride, uh, Tom Over, who was the winner of the contest. He wanted to be a part of this. So I was like, oh, wow, that's really for him for him to be a part of this. I was like really, really amazed by that. And um, Kimberly Wolkins, who is also another really great writer, she uh, sent me an email and she's like, hey, can I be a part of this as well? And um, and we were so glad that she reached out. I, it was just 
like I said, we just got some really, really great writers. And uh, if it would be one thing, like I, I probably what I would have done was just release the short story myself, put it online. But having something like this together, just having all of us together. And I said, what do you guys think of this? And uh, it was just one of these kind of like uh, pun, I guess you could say pun titles and so, you know, like blood from a stone, let's call it blood from a tombstone. And then the more I started getting into it and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Um, I need to come up with a publishing, <laughs> a publishing imprint, don't I? So I started, uh, so I started tombstone stories publishing, which you can find on Facebook for the moment. Um, if you go to facebook.com backslash tombstone stories, you'll see it there and people can order it online. It's, it's 99 cents on uh, on uh, Amazon Prime. Right now, it's only digital, and uh, probably in the next uh, six months or so, we'll probably make a um, we'll probably make a uh, hardcover version of it for people if they want it. But it's 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 a fun story. It, it, it's a lot of amazing people have um, it's a lot of amazing people put a lot of work into this, and um, and I was learning how to do this. Um, my old buddy, Linda Zimmerman, gave me some really good advice on how I should do this, how, I'm, how to be an independent pub, publisher, because this is my first time trying this. And, um, and she was an absolute sweetheart. Oh, and, and, and of all the people that we got in this, we also got um, Robert, Robert Damon Schneck. He's the author of the Bye Bye Man that they made the movie about a few years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and um, he wrote the foreword to this. He was really nice about it. And uh, I, I, he, he, for, him to, for him to help me out, that was just really cool of him to do that. And um, the other thing that was kind of cool about this was um, – we got this guy by the name of Dylan Blythen uh, from England. Uh, he actually wrote a soundtrack for you to read while you're reading this. So it kind of adds like, so you can add your own kind of spooky atmosphere to it and stuff. And, um, and the thing was, is that I just, uh, I, I jumped online. I wanted to, I, I made the cover for this and I found some really good, I, I, God bless the world. God bless the words public domain because i was able to find some really really great cover art for this that was drawn like popped up in old books from like 200 years ago and i was able to kind of manipulate that around and uh, and we came up with a really really good cover and like i said this this project has just been tons of fun we've had a lot of people uh that have just we've gotten some really kind responses back from readers and we've had a lot of really good people that have just been a part of this project. It sounds, it sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, and I love your enthusiasm for the project. Um, what would you say was the best part of working on it for you? I would say the best part of working on this was basically <laughs> I could give some silly answer like oh, working with all of these fine writers it would no what the best part about it was is that learning that I learning that the world of independent that independent publishing is waiting for us and you can make a name for our and we can make a name for yourself 
you can make a name for yourself doing this. You don't have to submit a story to a publisher or to an agent. I mean, granted, yeah, you can do that. Um, and I'm not going to trash that. Um, but I'm just simply saying is we live in a new era, new publishing, new, new ventures. And I like that we're able to do that. We don't have to rely on the standard. Um, hey, I wrote a book, send it to an agent. The agent responds back. I didn't like the book. Well, send it to another agent. Finally, another, after about the fifth agent, agent goes, I like this book. Let me publish it. Or, or let me submit it to a publisher. Submit it to publisher number one. Don't like it. Submit it to number two. Don't like it. Submit it to number three. Yes, you got something great here. Awesome. When are we going? When is this coming out? Next year. So this whole process has taken four to five years for you to get your project out there. Whereas with you, you publish it. You ideally have someone help you edit it. You edit it. Um, you work on it. You keep doing the best that you possibly can with it. And then you after it's edited, you can just put it online. And after you hitting the publish button, within about, say, a couple of hours or so after it's gone through all of the, I think the Amazon, uh, like, I think there's a couple of sensors in Amazon that goes through it because they want to make sure that like, yeah, hi, this is a new horror book. They go through it and you find out that it's just basically, hi, here are ways that you can kill your world leader and legitimate ways and here's all the secrets to the a-bomb and uh here's great links where you can find um very disturbing images with children in it they want to make sure that that's not what it is they want to make sure is this a legitimate is this a legitimate project that you're putting online and once somebody does that they kind of go okay yeah we can see that then then we put it online and then you go ahead and do it and once doing all of that, it was actually saying, holy crap, I published my own book. I can't believe that. That is so cool. And I really, there really, there's just something, you cannot take that joy away. You cannot take that away. Like building your own thing. It, it, it's a crazy thing. It's like, it's like building your own tree house or building your own house. It may not be great, but it's yours. And, and you can at least throw a sleeping bag in there and relax. Whether it keeps out the rain and bugs, but the fact is, is that this is your first step. This is yours. And I plan on publishing more books under Tombstone Stories. So that's, that's why I'm like incredibly, incredibly proud to be able to do something like that. Like, this is mine. And and I will say this, though, the Internet, some of the good things about the Internet, unlike social media, is being able to show, look what I did. This is mine. You can go out and get it yourself. So, like, I literally could write a story over the weekend, and then somebody in New York City, Monday morning, on their way to work on the subway, can read it on their phone. 
that to be able to do that, that is really awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And you know, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on, you know, the, the convenience of the distribution method that exists now for this, because you know what, I'm a, I'm a struggling writer myself. I've been writing a novel now for the, for quite some time, almost 10 years. And I am, I am what I, 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 I keep telling people that I'm this close to finishing it up. And once it's done, that's exactly the road I intend to go down. I have an editor already in mind, and I'm planned to uh, self, you know, self-publish it because I've heard that it's a very, that it's a much, much better process when you self-publish as opposed to trying to go through a major publisher slash distributor. So you know, I so the convenience factor is probably the number one benefit right now, huh, Don? Yeah, exactly. That's that's probably the big thing. I mean, I mean, like nowadays, I mean, you're hearing stories of like, um, I don't know, like who's somebody that I could pick on that I don't care about? Um, Bozo um, the Clown. <laughs> Bozo the Clown. Yeah, both. Actually, I like Bozo. He was fun. He made me giggle. Um, okay. What was say, what like, was the other clown? Now, what was the other the other clown? Uh, cookie. <laughs> Penny cookie <wise>. the clown. <laughs> Oh, Pennywise. Okay, Pennywise. <laughs> no, no. Like, you know what? I'm going to be silly. Uh, Marty Hugo, who is the guy that created the Hugo Car Company. Okay. Um, Marty Hugo. Um, if Marty Hugo wrote a book about, hey, here's how I made the Hugo Car Company, and everybody was like, oh, no, this is going to be great. We'll send Marty to, we'll put him on the Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, and. Ellen and uh, the Today Show and uh, uh, any other show that we'll have them. We'll put them on all the big podcasts and we'll have them on Dodd Ryder show first. So you can de- debut where billions of them, people all over the world listen to uh, <laughs> listen to one of the greatest interviewers of all time. Go, Joseph. Zod. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and. We're going to put them all over that. Well, then, if the book tanks, then here's what ends up happening. They fire at least six editors, maybe seven graphic designers, and they restructure their publishing arm to compensate for the billions that they put in Marty Hugo's biography that sold three copies. And two of them were bought by his mother after he agreed to pay her back. So I mean, <laughs> wow. I, I mean, it's that type of thing happens. Whereas with you, you self-publish. And the thing is, thanks to now print on demand, if you go, oh, I know that for the next, for the next six, like for the next three months, I'm going to be giving talks at say uh, the Miami Dade Library, and you go in there and you give a talk there. I want to have 10 copies ready. So you order 10 copies at cost, and then you're able to uh, pay them, and then you're able to purchase them. Or the other thing is, is that you end up with like a, an E.L. James type of story where she wrote, um, she wrote like a, she turned, a Twilight fan fiction, an erotic Twilight fan fiction of all things, into 
probably the craziest book self-publishing sensation in the world. I, I mean, look, I'm, no, I'm not a fan of it. My wife read the books. And I know other people that have read the books, the Fifty Shades of Grey, but I am completely fascinated by the story behind that. How she took fan fiction, added this BDSM erotic element, and it became huge. Like a lot of fans were like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is awesome. And then when she went, oh, I can't believe how much popular this is. Oh, wait, I've got to turn around and change the names. So, because I can now start selling this. So it's not about Edward Cullen and the wooden faced girl, Kristen Stewart, whoever it was she played. And we're going to now change it to that gray guy and whatever that other girl was and change that around. And I'm completely fascinated by how the fact of how, how like there's been, there's been a fan fiction of erotic nature for years, like long before the internet was around. I mean, like I was hearing stories of Kirk and Spock that people were writing, uh, having a little bit more than a Vulcan mind meld. And and of course, like like there's like the internet is filled with ten tons of stories of things of such a risque nature. And what was it about this combination that became such a huge sensation that went on to inspire three movies and everything? Yeah, so I mean, it's like I, I like to I like to think of it as as you know um, taking the you know the Twilight crowd, but taking the adults in the twilight crowd and making something to appeal to them those those women so basically the mothers of the teenage girls that like twilight <laughs> and now you've got now you've got an entire now you've got an entire legion of 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 women into into this story and it and that's what it sounds like to me but it's just it's just crazy it's like imagine now somebody just taking you know taking uh, Game of Thrones on its ear and putting it in space. Maybe they'll have, you know, maybe they'll have just as much success. I mean, yeah. And the thing is, is that what's crazy about Game of Thrones? I'm, and I gotta tell you, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I, I that was just one of those things that just completely passed me by. I, I, I don't get it. But what it struck me as is, is that it was like George R. R. Martin took the more he took the more realistic elements of Lord of the Rings and, and basically gave it a real world vibe to it. And then he went, Oh yeah, now I've got to throw in nice people in. Oh yeah. I got to throw in dragons. Um, and he kind of threw those in because like what he basically did was he, he more or less, instead of making, he, he turned, he turned Bilbo slash Frodo slash Tolkien's version of a dwarf. And he turned that into, he turned that into the Strider character, which is what Peter Dinklage, the character that Peter Dinklage played. Um, and I think that that's what he did. And it's still, but it's still his version of Lord of the Rings. It's George R. R. Martin who hung out in the Shire as a kid, and he just went, 
I don't want to leave. So what can I do to stay there? And he added an adult spin to it. And he probably was like, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he loved history. And I'm talking about like the, um, like the real, real, like um, real violent stuff that like, like how England was conquered, like stories of like the Vikings and the Celts and the Danes and how they took over, uh, how they took over huge swaths of England and other things like that. I wouldn't be surprised to find that he's like really big into that as well. So, but what he did was he, it is, this is his version of Lord of the Rings. He was just somebody that didn't want to leave the Shire and that's what it became. It became his thing. So it's really fascinating. But anyway, the whole reason why I go on this long tangent about all of this stuff is who's to say that you're not the next E.L. James? Who's to say that you do not have the next sensation that is like, oh my gosh, have you checked out have you checked out the Zod Ryder show? Holy cow! I just like have you like have you seen like like seen this new really awesome book by Joseph Todd? Holy cow! I can't put it down. You got to trust me on this. You got to get this book. This is a good book, and and that's basically what it is. And that's one of the reasons why. And instead of jumping through a ton of hoops to get your work out there, you can get your work out there. Because right now, what's great about it is, is that the elites that were holding back uh, the gatekeeping, and, and don't get me wrong, they're, 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 don't, basically the upside of the internet and self-publishing is anybody can get a book out there now. The downside is anybody can get a book out there now. Oh yeah, so okay. it's going to be a, it's going to be uh, yeah, a bit of a it's going to be a bit of a roll of the dice. But still, the fact that you can get out there and get your stuff out there, and you're at least more or less, you at least get to be on the same playing field as Stephen King this time. Like you can at least be on Amazon, and somebody says horror story. And not only do they get Carrie and um, the notebook by Nicholas Sparks, but they can now have access to to, the, to uh, our buddy Crystal Storm's books. They can have access to uh, your stuff when, when uh, you're able to put it online. And they can have now access to Blood from a Tombstone. Um, so, I mean, it's, that's the great thing about that is, is that it allows you the opportunity to say, here's my stuff. Why don't you take a look at it too? And that's one of the reasons why that's one of the great things about self-publishing this stuff, or I prefer the independent publishing because it just, number one, it sounds really cool. And number two, um, self-publishing has like back in the day it was self-publishing you basically did for two reasons number one it's a local book with a local interest like oh here are the law here are the um here are the legends of of uh, lycoming county pennsylvania um okay why does anybody outside of lycoming county pennsylvania care about these legends that's where self-publishing was good 20, 30 years ago, or it's for that guy that just basically says, I have proof that Richard Nixon 
had an alien spaceship on the planet Mars, and he set up United States Air Force bases on Saturn. Uh, I have proof of that. Here's my book. You're able to get that stuff out of the way. Yeah. And it's become less and less of that. Yeah. That's, that's, and you know what, that's a good thing to have, to have the playing field leveled a little bit is, is something that we should, any of us content creators should be, should be excited about because it does give people an opportunity and some, and, and for some, that's all you need is an opportunity. And once you've got that opportunity, you do the right things with it and good things can happen. So that's, that's, exactly. That's just the way that I'm looking at it at this point. And, you know, I'm excited. And like I said, I'm excited to finish reading this book. And you know what? I'm going to be sure to go ahead and order a hard copy uh, as soon as as soon as one becomes available. Because, I don't know, I'm one of those people, you know, and, and uh, a couple of weeks ago I took a selfie with a hard copy of uh, Crystal Storm's first Sanarchy book. Because I'm one of those people that just likes the... You know, the idea of having a hard copy of a book in my hand. I like hardcover graphic novels and I like I still like to read, you know, books as books more so than just reading a copy off my phone or my tablet. I mean, that's nice and all. But I mean, I, I still like the feel of a book, and and I know you being an I being think, an author has to feel the same way. <laughs> it's I think I think yeah, that's just one of those feelings that will never go go away. You will exactly. You, you will like that book. I mean, that was always one of the things that was kind of cool about um, when when you would go back and watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. Sure, these guys would read them on their like their version of the pads and stuff. But then you, um, but then you would see them just like Picard would always find some old hardcover book or something that you would see him read, and that was that was always pretty cool to see that to see him to see him still reading that because I don't think the feel of paper is ever going to go away. I oh, think people oh, are uh, are always going to like are always going to want to have paper and always going to want to have something like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it, and, you know, it's like, it's like this to always be a market out there for physical media, at least in our lifetime, no matter how, how things get and how many, you know, groups want to abolish it and stuff like that. There'll always be a market for it because there's always going to be somebody out there who's going to want to hold that complete works of William Shakespeare in their hand. It just is what it is. That's the absolute truth. (laughs) So. Yeah, exactly. And also at the same time, I mean, like, if you ever get a chance to go back and, um, like, look at the cover art that was on horror books back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, some of the finest artwork is, like, the science fiction book covers of the 70s and 80s, too. Uh, Late 60s, early 70s, that, because then that was before like around the mid nineties when everything became ironic and um, there's sort of like a art deco type of comeback with, uh, with how you design the covers and stuff. Whereas, and then they started going into like more photo realistic graphic arts where you can tell that they just basically asked a friend, Hey, do me a favor. Can you put on this, like um, th- this cardboard chest, plate that'll make you look like a transforming ghoulish robot and then 
I just take that digital Photoshop over it and there, boom, there's my cover for a mass and effect or something like that. So, and I'm sure that the person who makes the cover for mass and effects books would probably be yelling at me by now, but there's just something about seeing the painted portrait of the book covers that you just don't see anymore. So, and and like you said, there's always going to be a, uh, there's always going to be a market for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, you know, and I'm going to continue to, to buy books throughout my lifetime. I don't care. I'll probably be reading books up to the time where I'm dead, but that's just me personally. So yeah, I, I, you know, well, we'll I, be, I, you know what, we'll make sure we bury you with a book. Yeah. I, I, I got to be buried, get a little bit bored. buried with a couple of books. Yeah. So I can read, yeah. so I can read, <laughs> so I can read my way through eternity. That wouldn't be a bad, a bad way to go. So um, I, I, so now I guess I have now comes the part in the part in the show where I have to ask you, what's next now that this book now that this book is essentially out there? What's your uh, next project? Are you able to speak about it, or is it secret? Um, it's not that it's a secret, or I, it, like I don't, I don't have too too many secret projects. Honestly, what's been happening a lot is just day job has gone. Has just kind of unfortunately right. day job. Yeah, taken, yeah. Taken I, I, a hey, lot I, hey, I know too. You know, we had to postpone this show once because of that because I had a had a day job commitment I had to had to take care of. So I yeah, exactly. Understand. It's just the way. Yeah, it goes. exactly. You've got it. Yeah, and when I say unfortunate, I mean it. Unfortunately, sometimes keeps you from writing but um right now i'm working on another short story for uh if things go the way i hope they do i'm trying to do another short story for an anthology and uh i'm trying to get just a few more comic books up off the ground uh because i've I've got two publicate i've got two imprints one's called pinion comics and the other's called tombstone public uh tombstone stories and i just i I don't get a chance to spend as much time as I want to on these projects because of, again, life just gets in the way. And in the last few years, I've had some big, big life changes. My wife and I moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, in that time, uh, she was at a couple of different jobs. And then I it, I became working full-time for the local YMCA as part of a latchkey program. So I've been doing that and then um, just all kinds of things. And so that's taken up a really, really a lot of, a lot of time. And, um, and now with like summer here, I'm also involved with the summer camp work here. And, um, and it, it's just, just a lot, a lot of that stuff is going on. But what I am See, I just got done judging a short story contest for a school back in New Jersey. Um, really, really talented writers. Um, I just got done judging that, and I'm working on another short story, and I plan on releasing a bunch of other comic books, and I'm hoping by the end of the year, having a whole slew of other comic books out there for people to see. I want to get a few more. Um, like, like there's always an idea. See, that's the other thing that stinks about being a writer is you come up with an idea and then seeing it through to fruition. Because, like, if you're like me, 
do you have at least four or five different manuscripts that are kind of burning holes in your laptop? Yes. Yes, sir. And uh, you kind of go, oh, yeah, like, oh, let's see. We've got something set up in a spaceship. Oh, yeah, this will be great. So we'll put it on the spaceship. And then you go, but wait, 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 wait. What about that idea I had about something set in the Old West? Let's start writing a little bit more about that. But now I need to get back to this. Like, you've got about like six of them. And then you'll just be minding your own business. And then, hey, would you be interested in writing about something that occurred in a submarine? Why, yes, that would be awesome. So now you've got a spaceship, an old west, and a submarine story that are all trying to get your attention. So that that's that, that's kind of the hard part with that as well, is just trying to get a little bit of focus in there too. So there's it's, it's a lot of little stuff like that. It's like day-to-day life gets in your way, but sometimes day-to-day life needs to get in your way. And uh, I try to stay positive about that. I mean, the important thing is just <laughs> – it's cliche, but it's true. There's a reason why it is cliche. You just got to keep on keeping on. You just got to keep going because eventually something is going to catch up to you. Thanks to things like Patreon, um, you're going to be able to get to a point where you write. You write a lot, and people are going to start following you, and they're start, They're going to come to a point where you go. they go, oh, wow, I want to see more of what – Joseph Todd is doing. I want to see more of what Don Smith is doing. So I will give them $2 a month to help support them. And eventually that's what's going, that's, that's eventually what's going to do very well for you. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing how that's working out for, uh, for uh, YouTube, for YouTube. There's a lot of YouTubers out there that are, that are doing are doing really well from uh, Patreon and stuff. So, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's some that are out there and able to make a career out of YouTubing, which I find amazing. But it it, it works for some people. So, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that it's sort of like you got to find your niche. Like uh, the people that I follow on YouTube. Like uh, guys, like I was talking about that Jeremy from the quartering. One of the other guys that uh, I, um, I, I follow. Like I got to be honest with you, I'm not a fan of the Thirteenth Doctor. I think oh, me on either. Doctor Who, I love that show, and what they have done to it is an absolute utter abomination. And now because I've said that, I'm probably going to get a whole ton of hate for that. Um, but I, I have never hidden my distaste for my disdain for what they've done you know you know what the funny thing with me is i've I've never hated doctor who until this incarnation and you know what it's not because she's a woman so let's just get that out of the way right now it's not that's not the reason why the show has bigger problems than her gender (laughs) yeah exactly well and you see that's what it boils down to is is that People are making a bigger deal. Like I remember when they made a big, big deal not too long ago. I don't have, I haven't seen Star Trek Discovery, but when they were making a big deal oh about, hey, God. we've got a gay character on Star Trek Discovery. Look, we've got two guys kissing. And I was like, well, number one, in the 90s, you had two girls kissing with with uh, Dax and his Dax and his former girlfriend 
And it was kind of a bigger deal then. So why are you guys acting like you guys reinvented that? You guys like you guys invented the wheel. Why are you acting like you reinvented the wheel? And the thing is, is that now am I watching Star Trek Discovery for good stories and good science fiction, or am I watching it for two guys to be kissing? Because to be honest with you, if I wanted to watch two guys kissing. I do believe there are a ton of videos online dedicated to that subject matter that I could avoid all the science fiction silliness and just watch two guys kiss. But And you could even you could even get videos of two guys kissing on a starship as well if that's what you are into. So Yeah, exactly. I'm (laughs) yeah, exactly. I'm sure that 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 exists as well. But the thing is, is that what are you giving to me? What is, is it? Is it, is it an identity thing? Is it a like, hey, look, we got gay people. So Greenwich Village has gay people. West Hollywood has gay people. And the thing is, is that um, if that's what you're doing, okay, but tell me, what are the gay people going through? Exactly. What are they struggling with? What are they trying to overcome? What are they, and I'm not talking about stuff like the prejudices that they've had to face. I'm talking about like, I want to hear a story about two guys that are married to each other, but one of them is fighting cancer. I want to hear a story about two guys that are married to each other, and one of them has to deal with an addiction. You know, there's Uh, a show, uh, honestly, there's a show that deals with two males being married to each other. So amazingly, and that show is the Orville. And I, I don't know if you've watched it, but as far I'm not as I'm, a chance to. as far as I'm concerned, that show is that show is absolutely incredible. It is it is Star Trek in everything but name. So if you want to watch a show that that carries on in the tradition of Star Trek: The Next Generation, for example, I would highly recommend the Orville over Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. I, I, the problem was is that I just wasn't a fan of Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, so I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't was, either. I, was, I thought, I thought that I was just basically watching him live his Star Trek fantasy. No, I, sense. you know what? I, I was, I was with you. I was in the same boat you were. I've never been the biggest Seth MacFarlane fan, but this show changed my opinion because as the show goes on, you, you learn a lot about the characters. You start to care about them, and essentially it you get used to the idea of Seth MacFarlane being that character, and now, you know, it's like you after a while, you'll no longer see Seth MacFarlane. You'll see the character that he's playing. So it's... Right, it's, right. It's, it, really is, it really is amazing the way he was able to to make that to make that a reality i i gotta say i mean in the show is getting it just got renewed for a third season so i don't know it's definitely worth checking out i think you'll be impressed by a lot of the sci-fi elements that are explored in this series and it really okay, is to, it really is mind-blowing to me <laughs> yeah i'll have to check it out i really will because i've heard nothing but good things and one of the other guys that in that this is kind of how we got into this one of the um YouTubers, the way that they they get supported is is that they pick a political axe to grind. And the thing is, is that now I have my opinions on stuff, but I don't know that I like the sound of my voice. 
to go on and on. I mean, like I'm doing an interview with you and I've given my opinion, obviously of like changing, um, characters around for the sake of change. <laughs> yeah. For the sake of change and for virtue signaling, I'm not, it's not honest that you see that I, I I've got my opinions on that. But the thing is, is that I've said it once I've said it to you. I don't need to say it again. Exactly. So, whereas these guys, this is what they do. This is what they do. They they make they make their comments and they say like, "Hey, we don't like this. We don't like you know, Here's more proof of why I don't like this. Here's even further proof of why I don't like this." And then someone comes around and says, "Well, you clearly are a fascist scumbag with pictures of Eva Braun hanging up in your house." Uh, which is why you don't like this. And it's kind of like, okay, well, here's my reaction to being accused <laughs> of liking Eva Braun. So, I mean, there's a lot of that that goes with it, and they probably can make a decent living off of it. And some of the stuff, some, like, you have to go with where you're called to be. I'm exactly. not called to be that. I, I have my opinion, but I'm not called to be that guy. I'm not called to be on TV and screaming and um, screaming about what the Illuminati may or may not be doing or going out of your way to figure out, um, figure out what is happening or pretending to talk to a sidekick that sits next to me. Uh, <laughs> um, when I had my own radio show while I was interviewing famous UFO hunters uh, inside, oh, say somebody's head. A real angel of a guy. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that for yeah. Jackal. <laughs> yeah, for definitely. Jackal. Yeah. For, for Jackal. That, that, I, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's kind of like those guys are called to do that. I'm not. I'm called to write. If, if I, no, I did have my own show for a while, I had a podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes for a while, but life got in the way and I just, it just, it just lost something for me. Um, and I'll still do it every so often. I'll find something of interest that I'll post about. And then I, um, and then I'll, Oh goodness. I'll write my opinions about that. And then, uh, I'll do interviews with people, but it's not, it's, I, I and, uh, and I still keep toying around with the idea of doing a podcast. But the thing is, is that it would be dedicated to a specific subject matter. I oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to make it a specific thing. I mean, at one point, I wanted to change the Zod Rider show into Snyder Cut Radio because I was so passionate about what I'm involved in right now. But at the same time, I felt like after a while, after doing one episode of Snyder Cut Radio, I realized that that, that would be a little bit going a little bit overboard in terms of what I normally do. So unless I'm going to be able to get, you know, unless I'm going to be able to get principals that are involved, like Zack Snyder himself and the head of Warner Brothers and, and this person and that person on onto the show, it's really going to be hard to sustain Snyder cut radio from week to week. So, right. so that was, so that was, you know, so that was kind of the end of that. <laughs> so I just figured however, I would, yeah. However, if I may, you can always do a special five part podcasts. 
series. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I intend to continue to, to, to devote, you know, uh, Zod Rider show episodes to it from time to time when I have stuff that is relevant to the actual right. movement to talk about. But I'm not going to just randomly do it every week based off of, you know, stuff that pops up here, here, and here. There's a lot of people that do that, and I applaud them for what they're doing. But it's like I got, I feel like I got to, I got to continue to do what I've always done, which is try to put out a good show, interview quality people. And just go from there. And again, that that can all be included. So you know, I don't I, lose anything. I appreciate that. You know, I don't lose anything by not making every week Snyder Cut Radio. So there you go. <laughs> right. So. Right. Real quick, though, um, can I? There are two things I wanted to do before because I'm gonna. Ha- I know I'm gonna have to kind of veer off soon because I've actually yeah. got to go to my day job early in the morning. But there are two things I wanted to talk about. First of all, I want to plug it. Go. Get, go get a copy of um, Blood from a Tombstone. It's only 99 exactly. cents. Go you, ahead, you've go got a whole it. bunch of great stories. All you have to do is just, it's geared for Kindle readers. Uh, just go to Amazon, type it in, order it. It's only 99 cents. Um, enjoy it. You've, you'll be helping support uh, some really, really amazing writers. Um also visit us at facebook.com backslash tombstone stories. And, and again, yes, I am being hypocritical for the moment until I have had time to think of a better way around it. Um, it's, it's just, just go enjoy it. Hang out with, hang out there. It, it, it'll, it'll, you'll see the website there and you can see how you can get things and come on over, hang out. It'll be a lot of fun. We really, really love for you to be a part of this. So thank you. And thank you. This second thing, speaking of Snyder, holy crap. We've got to talk Brightburn for like five minutes. Sure. Have you seen Brightburn yet? I have seen Brightburn. Yes. Okay. Basically. And I keep saying this and I'm going to give the, I'm actually writing a review of it for a really nice website. Uh, and um, and I'll if you don't mind I'll send it to you on Twitter and then share it out when it goes live the review of it. But sounds sounds good. Okay, but you could not have had Brightburn is to the Zack Snyder Superman movies what Galaxy Quest is to Star Trek. You yeah, I, you know I can see I can see where you're going with that yeah. You could not have had Galaxy Quest without the Star Trek movies. You could not have had Brightburn without – you probably could have had Brightburn, but it would not have been the same thing. Like, Because basically everything about Brightburn was we're going to make this as Clark Kentish as we possibly can. Without, yeah, that, without hitting any copyrights. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it was, I really, really enjoyed it. I saw it yesterday and I'm so glad I did. And I was curious, or let me ask, what did you think of it? I I found it to be interesting. I, I kind of, a part of me thought that they were, 
you know, that they were clearly taking a shot at Man of Steel. And I feel like, you know, Matt, for me, Man of Steel is a masterpiece. So I kind of look at, I kind of looked at Brightburn and thought, oh my God, they're, you know, they're making fun of it. But then I, but then I realized that it's, that it's a, what Brightburn really is, is it's more of like showing you the alternative. Like you said, it's Galaxy Quest to Man of Steel. So it's essentially like them showing you another, showing you another side of it. So it didn't really bother me as much, but I, but you know what, at the end of it, all I thought I, I get, I applaud them for, for what they attempted to do. And I think, it, I think it was a, it was an entertaining film and I, I definitely want to see it again because I'm interested in, yeah. in, 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 uh, in, you know, evaluating it and moving further and, and seeing it because it looks like, I, I don't know. It looks like they'll probably make another one. I don't know. You know what I would actually compare this movie to is is that I would more compare it. Obviously, you've got your Zack Snyder stuff, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would almost more compare it to the Omen movies. And I'm talking about the original 1970s uh, Gregory Peck Omen movies where Omen 1 is all about Damien as a little boy, the birth of Damien, and then him as a little boy. Then the next one is about teenage to older Damien. And then Damien 3 is all about, uh, is all about the Antichrist actually ru- ruling the world. And I really hope that they would go in that direction with it because um, I want to see what happens next with this. Oh, yeah. It, like, it, I, it needs to go It needs to go full-on evil, definitely. There doesn't need to be any, any, redemp- any, any redemption for the character whatsoever. I think, I think it is the spark of a full-on horror, superhero horror franchise. And I think I, I think that's where they're going with it. I think you're going to get, I think we're going to get a ton of sequels. And every single thing that you mentioned right now is probably something we're eventually going to see. So, right, exactly, and that's what I really it, it should be really interesting. And let me ask this because I, I just want to double check this: what did he make his mask out of? Uh, I thought that what? it was like like a. It looked like like a potato sack or something. You know what I thought it was is that if you looked at, looked at it, I thought it was like a pair of um, like the that the pants that a football player would wear, and kind of about where his nose and his mouth is, uh-huh. is where you had like the lace up that would be kind of like in the front of the pants, like where the crotch would be. So basically what I thought he did was he took the pants, cut, cut out the, um, cut out the legs, sewed up the holes where the legs were and then cut out the eyes and then put that on and giving that crisscross lace effect on him, gave him this really kind of weird, like I actually thought he looked like an ood from Doctor Who, which kind of give, gave him this sort of something off kilter on there. But Robert Schneck pointed out to me that he said, "Man, it looks an awful lot like Cthulhu." And I was yeah. like, 
holy crap, you're right. And uh, Cthulhu is basically kind of like, you get him down here, like more or less like the followers of Cthulhu want him to come down and take over the world and basically bring about the end of humanity. And that kind of has a nice little implication as to what... Yes. And, and, and you know what? I don't I don't mean to cut you off, Don, but we do have sure. a uh, we do have a call, a caller who has decided to call into the show. So welcome, caller. I, I love the topic, guys. This is an awesome uh, show. Zodrider. I follow you every week and uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for doing your show. And your guest is fabulous. And I love the conversation of the movie Brightburn. It's it, it's a good movie, but I have two things to, to add to it, if you guys don't mind. Sure. Go um, ahead. Okay. Okay. By the way, my name is Fred. And um, the, you know, the, the reason I'm calling is to, because I saw the movie. And one thing I loved is that the movie, to me, is a combination of uh, the beginning part of Man of Steel, which is the small little part. But it's kind of giving you the, the, the twist that it kind of reminds me also of Psycho. Especially the last shot when you see him sitting by himself. Doesn't that remind you of Anthony Perkins at the end of Psycho? Dang, that is brilliant. Yeah, that's that is brilliant. absolutely that is brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> Down to the blanket and everything. Correct. That is yeah. brilliant. It's like they connected that Zack Snyder or Man of Steel cut in the very beginning, that's it. And then they put that together, and they're like, okay, we don't want to make an exact copy, so let's throw in Psycho in there. And that it really reminded me of a blend of both. Yes. That is actually really good. Because, well, you know what was funny was, the other thing that they kept doing with the Man of with uh with this movie was whenever Elizabeth Perkins I'm gonna get did I get no, it's not Elizabeth Perkins. Anthony Elizabeth, Perkins. Uh, yeah, no, not Anthony Perkins. Elizabeth uh da, 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 the mother, Elizabeth Banks. Whenever right. Elizabeth it came Banks, to Perkins, unfortunately she passed away on nine eleven. So yeah. Quite, yeah. Yeah. Um Elizabeth Banks, whenever she was holding yes. uh, her son, they always had, it sounded almost like the those notes in Man of Steel. Right. Like, specifically at the end of Man of Steel, when you're seeing young Clark running around with a towel around his neck, and you've got Jonathan Kent fixing the car, and they're right. watching, ironically, Clark pretending to be a superhero. My voice, and, um, my voice is Easter Island. Do you remember that scene? My voice is an island. Followed by, like, I got like those vibes while watching. Yeah, my- exactly, exactly. And you almost heard the same musical cues Correct. for yes. that, that they were really trying to, I, I think that they were really trying to hit home. Add to the fact that this is set in Brightburn, Kansas. I mean, right. why Kansas? Why Kansas? Why not Wisconsin? Why not Idaho? Why not Iowa? Why but Kansas? Yeah, but here's the, here's the kicker, though. In Man of Steel, they don't live in Kansas anymore, don't they? Everything's set down in New York, right? No, no. He's, Superman is still from Kansas. Okay, so he's still in Kansas because I, I thought they had changed the location. And uh, I wasn't too sure. I didn't remember. I haven't seen the movie in a bit. But um, I thought they had changed... Most of the location, it's still a small little, but it's no longer in Kansas. No, it's in no, Kansas. no, it's, 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 a, it's a fictional city, even though it's in the comics. It's set in Kansas. 
in an, in the show Smallville was set in Kansas. Um, but right. are you sure in the movie Man of Steel it's actually Kansas? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah, it was in Kansas, yeah. Okay, okay. And yeah, and that's why that was one of the reasons why when they were basically when they even at the very end Kansas, even at the very end Superman tells the tells that uh you know, that, that army general at the end of the movie that he's from Kansas, he says he says I'm as American for, as apple pie. I'm from Kansas. He, he, you know, so he, Does he say I'm yeah. from Kansas? I know he says I'm American as apple pie, but I don't know if he says I'm from Kansas. Yeah, he says he's from Kansas. Yep. No. Yeah. Well, and, and, you still, and that was the other thing. Speaking of Smallville, that was the other thing that I found really fascinating that they kept doing with the, um, with, uh, the Brandon character was they constantly had him wearing a red and a blue shirt. Similar to how Tom Welling would be wearing a red and blue, and well, another thing it is uh, Brandon, right? Who was the last guy who played Brandon Breyer? Right. Oh no, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Breyer. Ralph was before before was before um, who played Henry. Superman before Henry Cavill. Brandon Ralph. Yeah. Another. Connection. I don't know. Interesting. I, I didn't pick. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that either. They were. They were. You know. So they were kind of. By calling him Brandon, they were probably alluding to all of the all of the all of the criticisms of Brandon Ralph as being stalker man and all these things. So they so that was probably what that was. I I I just kind of get that feeling because when you look at uh, Superman Returns, that was a lot of the criticisms that that movie got in particular. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was kind of a little jab at Brian Singer's attempt at the Superman character. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised at that either. That's actually really another really brilliant, uh, really brilliant perspective on that. I got to tell you though, I have I still need to wrap my head around more about the whole psycho thing because that was actually really kind of interesting because like it's sort of like the reverse of Psycho where everybody knew Norman Bates was the villain and he had the mother personality inside of him and mother was still living and. But remember in the original cycle, even the the sheriff was like, you know, leave that boy alone. He's not clever enough. And like the, the city didn't believe that he was a serial killer. They thought yeah. that he had it to his mother beforehand, but nobody believed that he would be, you know, an actual murderer until the end of the movie. So it, it, this kind of had like the same feel where the kid got away with it. Spoiler alert! Sorry if you haven't seen the movie, but at, at the end, it's like they're treating him like. You know, uh, like Norman Bates, basically, where you know everybody, everybody's dead, but you know nobody knows who the killer was. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you poor little boy! An airplane crashed into your house and killed mom and dad, and you survived. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right, it was an airplane. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Right. Which, so, by the way, also, I just this hit me. What movie that had? What movie had an airplane crash through a house and kill uh, kill some of the main character? Donnie Darko. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that. So, uh, I mean, think about that also. I think they pulled from a couple of different areas. Donnie Darko is a very dark movie. That The plane falls. The whole movie is kind of like a weird dreamist, you know, dream kind of a thing where he has, you know, these abilities and he's going through, like, the whole, you know, thing. I mean, have you seen Donnie Darko? That's a masterpiece. And, I mean, you could add that to the mix also. I mean, I, and this is not done by James Gunn. This is done by, what, his cousin or brother, the director? I don't know who uh, the director Donnie Darko or is. Brightburn? Uh, no, no, Brightburn. Brightburn. It was uh, done by um, James Gunn's brother, I believe, correct? 
No, 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 no. Uh, his brothers wrote the spi- uh, wrote, right. wrote the movie. That's what I'm the... saying. His brother wrote the movie. Yeah. So I'm but, pretty sure as writers, they take an inspiration from things they love, like every good writer does. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things, elements that you can kind of look at and be like, oh, man, they pulled from here, from here. It was, uh, it was directed by David Yaroveski. Yes. Right. But the writers are James Gunn's brother. He's one of them. Yes. Yep. And he, uh, and he produced them. And the other thing was, is that supposedly I completely missed it, but apparently James Gunn directed a movie called super that had rain Wilson in it. And it was a very kick-ass type of character. Um, and supposedly there was a nod to that, like, um, with the Michael Rooker part where he's like, the government's hiding all this stuff from us, but we know it's there. And, and supposedly Michael Rooker had a very, um, the character that, like, one of the characters that he had, he had, like, all these images of these other super-powered human beings that are living creatures that are popping up around the world. And he, um, and it sounded like that the uh, Michael Rooker character, or I'm sorry, that the Rain Wilson character was one of those people that they were seeing. So there's kind of an implication uh, that, that, granted, I read this online, and we can always trust everything we read on the Internet, Um that basically that that there's a connection with that James Gunn movie as well. So I don't know how true that is, but yeah, I've seen that movie a long time ago. I, I, but yeah, I vaguely remember what you're saying here about those connections. You can't trust everything you read on the internet and water. Oh, I was, I was (laughs) totally being sarcastic with that. Thirty percent rent because you know that and water is wet. Guys, this is a fabulous show. I'm gonna let you go so you can continue your show, Zion Rider. Great out there to hear you back on the air and uh your guest is fabulous. Oh thank oh, you. You've been very thank kind. You, thank you very much, Fred. Guys, I okay, I'll keep listening off the air. Take care. Okay. I would also uh, so, like it noted for the re- record. That we have very good looking people that call into the show. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and with that, you know what? It's, it's so funny because, you know, when you, when you're talking, when you start talking about a, a movie like, like Brightburn and, and all the, you know, all the various connections, they took that little horror movie and they basically did whatever they could with it. They squeezed everything out of it like a grape. And I think it, yeah. I think it, it, for the most part, I think it's 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 succeeded in what it set out to accomplish. So thank you, it, thank you for it, bringing that up. Yeah, it really did. And the other thing is, if you do see it again, the other thing that's interesting about these guys is, I I hate comparing it to say something Kubrick esque or something, but there is an element oh, where no. you kind of have to watch in the background other stuff there. Like you'll see kind of like. Oh, okay. I've noticed this little thing here is like, they do a lot of like, they matched up certain scenes in the movie with other stuff. And like, even the, the dialogue was so quick. Like, um, they kind of did that implication where they were talking about bees and wasps. I don't know if you caught that where yeah, they're like, Oh, do yeah. you know the difference between bees and wasps? And you kind of go, Oh, so that's how he ended up here. type of thing. So you're like, Oh, okay. So there's a lot of there's there's a lot of that that they have in right. there. It's kind of like 
like you're you're kind there's going to be a lot of i think there's a lot of subtle nuances to it and i think that's what also made it for a really really entertaining movie as well because like once you get past you're like oh wait a minute there's that oh look at that little thing there oh miss that oh look at that thing there and it's like there's a lot of easter eggy i think you would call it like very little a lot of these little things there and that you're just like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, I missed that. Dig that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So like I said, there's a lot of things that they have in there that you're like, Oh, that is, Oh, I missed that that first time. And and you can see them popping up in the movie. So that's why it's just, it's just part of the fun. You get more, it just adds more to the story where you can keep an eye out for it. Absolutely. And I mean, it sounds like you are without a doubt a fan of this movie. So, I hope I, I, I hope am, I am. hope for your enthusiasm that they that they maybe do more. <laughs> my my fear is is that they're going to do it that they'll just kind of go oh it was a one off much the same way like Slither. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that that's one of those movies that needed to have a sequel to it. I thought, and uh, also had Elizabeth Banks in there. Interesting. So. So we'll see what happens to it. But still, it's, it's a great movie, and it's worth everybody's time. So moral of the story, go buy a copy of Blood from a Tombstone. Go sign uh, the Snyder Cut petition and go check out the website. And then go, and then when you're done with all that, then go see Breitbart. Or Breitburn, sorry. Holy cow. <laughs> That's going to get you a lot of angry phone calls. <laughs> sorry, but I, I've been making that mistake all day today. I've been like, yeah, you got to go see Breitbart. What? <laughs> Breitbart. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, and on, on, on that note, on that, uh, on that note, Don, I, I do want to thank you very much for, uh, Joining me tonight, as always, it is a pleasure having you, and I look forward to the next time you come on the show with your next project. Uh, I I'm excited. I'm super super excited for the new book. So definitely, I'm hoping that uh, it's as as much of a success as you're hoping it will be. Thank you. One other thing, I just also got to say, um, our buddy the Jackal is listening in. I just got a message from him, and. Um, Jackal, thank you so much. You are, you're always, we're, we always love having your support and we, we, we need to get back inside his head. We need to demand that we get back inside his head. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully that'll happen one of these days. I'm praying that it does because inside the Jackal's yes. head is definitely a missed, a missed show on, on this network. It really is. It really is amazing. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be back. At some point, it'll be wonderful. Right now, however, I can't exactly say what he's doing, but let's just say that he has been on several important missions for the United States government, and we thank him for his service. Well, there you go. I couldn't have said I couldn't have said it any better. But on that note, I'm going to go ahead and uh, end tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show. Thank you again very much, Don, for coming on the show. And I'm going, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. I always try to end, um, end my Zod Rider shows with a song from, from my good friend in, in England, Georgina. And this, and this song is really, really cool. She shared this song with me a long time ago, and I don't think I've ever aired it on the Zod Rider show. It's called Kingdom, and I think everybody out there listening will enjoy it. And uh, so 
give it a listen, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to the Zod Rider Show on PSN-radio.com. But for myself and Don Smith, good night, everyone. Kingdom Come on Pick them apart One by one your match but things will never be the same the world is watching as I reign one day I'll rule one day I'll bear the cross and the ridicule the things that you do and the words that you say Separation in the church and the state Little mouse trap, then I let them eat cake Nothing like revenge with a personal taste Nobody wants me around Everybody here drop my name like the pound No one's get away, I'm just a face in the crowd Sheep to the slaughter, bitches I give my heart to Yet you broke up